It is true. It takes great pressure and it takes great heat to form a diamond, but it takes the right elements too. And there's a lot of pressure and a lot of heat that doesn't produce diamonds. And uh, so we want to have the right elements in our life too. It's easy in pressure and difficulty to form the wrong things, to form bitterness or, 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 or offense or other things that would, would turn us aside. So in order for the Lord to work those precious things in our life through pressure and through difficulty, we need to be seeking him that the right elements would be there to form those precious things, the diamonds of our life, as his word was to us. That's not what we're talking about today. That was just something I was thinking about. You may have heard me say uh, in one of the times I preached over the last little while that I, at the beginning of the year, felt from the Lord just to really dig afresh into his word and to start at the gospels. And I've worked through that and, and, and past the gospels now and into the book of Romans, just doing um, deep study, I guess, you know, spending time with him and reading his word. But I've been meditating still on uh, the gospels. And so this morning we're going to start a series on the life of Christ. I say a series. I know I'm preaching two Sundays in a row. I don't know when I'm speaking next after that. So this will be an, an intermittent uh, series. But we want, I want, I've been touched afresh by the life of our Lord Jesus Christ and how he lived for us and how he lived here on earth, how he gave himself for us. And today we're going to be looking at more of an overview of his life and we're not even going to be looking at the gospel specifically this morning. God was really good to give us a chapter in the Bible that is really a summary of the life of Christ. And that's in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 53. So this morning we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus Christ as seen in Isaiah chapter 53. And uh, it's a good introduction to his life. As we look at these verses, we're actually going to back up before Isaiah 53, because you know, the, the ones who put the Bible together, they did, their, they did an amazing job giving us chapters and verses. And so I can tell you, turn to Isaiah chapter 53 and verse two, and you know right how to get to that in your Bible. If I said, turn to the book of Isaiah, to the part where he talked about Jesus Christ, you know, you'd be like, well, how do I find that? So we have these chapters and these verse delineations in our, in our, our Bibles to help us. But when we study part of the word of God, it's good to look not just in chapter sections or in verse sections, but see what comes before and what comes after, because that helps uh, to us to see it as the, the Lord gave it or as the author wrote it. And so we're going to begin in Isaiah chapter 52 and looking starting at verse 7, because this, I believe, is where it begins to paint the picture of the coming of Jesus Christ here to earth. So let's read Isaiah chapter 52, verses 7 through nine, we're going to make this applicable to us. We're looking at the life of Jesus, um, but obviously these things, he, he came to earth and he lived for us and he died for us. This is our savior that we're talking about. And this is very pertinent to us. Isaiah 52, seven through nine. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together unto singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. 
And this is the watchmen, you know, the ones who are bringing the news of happiness. They're publishing the peace and, and saying that salvation has come. And this is because it says in verse 8, they see the return or the coming of the Lord to Zion. And so they're starting to declare this message of the coming of the Messiah, the coming of their Savior. And God has comforted his people with this news. That's kind of the, the brief introduction. We won't spend much time on that. But let's look at Isaiah chapter 52. And now starting in verse, verse 10, we're going to read. And then verse 13 through 15. Isaiah 52 verse 10. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human resemblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which was not has, for that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Isaiah 52 and verse 10 there, it says, All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And when Jesus came, it was you know, an Israelite to the Jewish people, but it was for the ends of the earth. It was to all of us. You know, us sitting here would be considered the Gentiles, right? But he came that salvation would come to the ends of the earth. It says the Lord has bared his holy arm before all nations. I get, I like word pictures and I get quite the word picture with this one. You know, it's God flexing his arm, right? God's bearing his arm, like, look at my strength. Look at what I can do. And he's showing the nations of the world through the, his son coming to earth what he would do for them. It says in Luke chapter 3 and verse 6 that all flesh would see the salvation of God. It's in the New Testament too, in the Gospels. You know, All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. And then when the Gospel writers were writing, they said all flesh will see the salvation of God. And in the book of Hebrews Chapter 7 and verse 25, it talks about salvation being given to the uttermost. I had a lot of references in here. You might see those popping up there. We might not read all of them. But, you know, salvation was given for the world. It says God loved the whole world, and so he gave his only son in John 3.16. There's obviously our part, which is whoever believes on him would have eternal life. But God gave his son for the ends of the earth, salvation to the world. So everybody has that possibility of being saved. Now let's look at Jesus, you know, turning our focus on him. In verse 13, it starts talking specifically uh, about him. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. My, hermit, my, my servant shall deal wisely or, or prudently is the word in the King James. It means to be circumspect to be skillful, to be intelligent, and to be wise. And I was thinking of Jesus' interactions with, with people when they would come up to him to ask him a question. You know, sometimes these questions they asked him were pretty hard, right? They, and they were meant to be that way, like, oh, we're going we're gonna to trip him up with these questions. Sometimes when he was asked a question, he would give an answer. 
That's kind of our human response, right? When somebody asks us a question, we give an answer. Sometimes, though, he told a story. He was asked a question, and he, and he told a story in response to that. Sometimes he asked a question back rather than answering the question, and sometimes he just didn't answer. So I think when Isaiah's, the Lord is prophesying through Isaiah, my servant will deal wisely. He will deal prudently. He will be, you know, circumspect and skillful. It's this thought of how he was able through, through his father with him to just be so wise in how he handled every situation that came up. The Pharisees asked Jesus about paying taxes, and he didn't say, well, of course you should be paying your taxes. And he didn't say, no, that's a foreign government. You don't owe them a thing. He said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what is God's. What a wise answer, wasn't it? Because they were trying to get him to, to be tripped up with that. When they asked what punishment should be handed to the adulteress, he didn't answer for a long time, it says. And then when he did, he said, let the one who's without sin cast the first stone. He was dealing with their heart in answering their question. He didn't actually answer their question. He was dealing with their heart. When the Pharisees questioned where he got his authority and they came up to him and tell us by what authority you're doing this thing, he said, I'm going to ask you a question. John the Baptist, was his ministry from God or from men? So he asked them a question in return. And we know that, you know, if you know the story, that they couldn't answer him. They didn't really want to answer him because they knew either way, either it would get them in trouble with the people or with him. And so they're like, well, we're just not going to answer that. We don't know. And so Jesus then said, I'm not going to answer your question. And then it goes right into the parable of the two sons. So he kind of did answer their question, but with this parable of the sons, like, okay, this is what you guys are really about. You know, the son that seems to be all willing and the loyal son, but the one that's not really doing. And uh, so he answered them with a parable. He acted very wisely here on earth. Our Savior did. Now it says in verse 13 of Isaiah 52, he will be high and lifted up and be exalted. And that sounds pretty good, wouldn't it? If somebody told you that at your job, you're going to be high, you're going to be lifted up, you're going to be exalted. Yes. And you could take it that way. But when you look up the meaning of these words and you look up the verse that comes afterwards, it's more looking to him being lifted up on the cross, I believe. Because exalted can means to be high, actively to raise or to rise. So to be raised or to rise, to, be, to rise up. Extol means to lift and carries the thought of to suffer and to bear up. And to be very high means to lift up or to mount up. And the very next verse then goes right into as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred. So when you tie these thoughts together of him being lifted up, it's the thought of him giving his life sacrificially for us. It was a very honorable thing to do, but not honorable in how we would view it as, as a human typically. He gave himself for us. So verse 14, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human resemblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. You know, in the King James, it says people were astonished at his visage or at the way that he appeared and looked. He suffered much for us when he lived here on earth during his crucifixion. 
They put a crown of thorns on his head. You would know this in reading through the Gospels. Was that fair? Nothing they did to him was fair, but he bore that for us. A crown of thorns pounded into his skull. He was whipped with pieces of bone and, and, or, or glass or stone, usually in their whips when they whipped him. You know, these things aren't pleasant to talk about, are they? This is what our Savior did for us. I was given the opportunity a few months ago to practice with somebody's whip that they had made. And after they described to me the, the damage you can inflict on yourself just by act, using the whip in the wrong way and how you can whip your own arm or back while you're using and I said, no thanks, I don't wanna try that. But imagine this one was specifically made by somebody else who was an expert at it and had sharp pieces of object in there to rip open Jesus' back. Terrible punish, punishment that he went through for us. He had the large spikes in his, his hands and his feet, a spear stabbed in his side. I mean, all these things. His visions, his visions, his appearance was marred as he was going to and he was on that cross. We know from history that many people died the death of a crucifixion. I've heard the number 4,000. I don't know how accurate that is, but we know that the Romans crucified a lot of their, the ones that, that seemed to be against them. And whether they were or not, that was the, the, their, their corporal punishment. And so many people were very mutilated and tortured, but none of these ones went through what Jesus went through. He was God in the flesh. He was perfect. He had done no sin. He had done no wrong. And he'd given up his place in heaven to come here to earth. So it wasn't just a man being beaten and crucified and punished for what he had done. It was the perfect son of God changed from that image to the image of a human who was now just physically marred and, and damaged for us. So in this way, he was more marred than any other person. And, and that's what Isaiah is saying. Verse 15, so shall he sprinkle many nations. <clears throat> Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. And it speaks, I think, of the news of Christ being spread abroad after his life and his death and, and his resurrection. And many heard of Christ and they believed. Let's go on to Isaiah chapter 53 now, which is the chapter that we're looking at. Isaiah 53 verse 1. Who has believed our report? Or who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who was the arm of the Lord revealed to? Isaiah 52, verse 10, he bore his arm to all the nations. It was revealed to everyone. But, so Isaiah here then begins this passage in, in Isaiah 53 now, who's believed what he heard and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And now he goes through some things that are like, well, it, it's not really the Messiah that people were expecting. He was revealed to all the nations, but many didn't believe in him. Israel expected their Messiah, you know, they, they didn't have a balanced view from Scripture. They looked at their natural circumstances and then pulled out verses that they thought would fit what they wanted to happen. And so they actually missed passages like Isaiah 53, 52, 53, and even beginning 54. They missed these passages talking about their Savior because it wasn't what they had hoped would happen. 
They were suffering physically under the Romans and they wanted their Messiah to come and set them free. And so they found the verses about the ruling Messiah and said, that's what he's going to come to. And they missed the others. Even the disciples, when you read through the Gospels, they thought that Jesus would overthrow the Romans. It says in Luke 24, 21, you know, we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Luke 24, 21. Even after Jesus was alive and ministered and then died on that cross, they're like, he didn't do what we expected. Even though Jesus had told them many times, and, and you can look this up, but we don't have time to go into them. He told them he was going to die, but it just wasn't what they wanted to happen. So everyone there was, they were blinded by what they wanted and they missed who Jesus really was. We've got to be careful about that. We've got to be careful in our own lives that we don't just read the scripture according to what we want to happen, but that we study the Bible and see what it says. It's important for us too. Isaiah 53 verse two. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So a tender plant and a root out of dry ground. You know, a tender would be a young plant. It's probably speaking of Christ's uh, early years at this point of Isaiah. A tender plant probably goes unnoticed. A root out of dry ground probably talks of his physical circumstances. I'm just giving my thoughts on these passages here. You know, he didn't grow up with a, a, a noble or a regal bloodline. He grew up to a poor family, son of a carpenter, you know, in a very uh, a small area in Israel. He didn't grow up in a palace. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, of that lineage. So a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. When a plant grows up in dry ground, this is, says a tender plant, a young plant, and a root out of dry ground. When you look at that in the natural, you go, well, there's not much hope for that right? When something, when the ground is really dry and you see a plant trying to come up, you go, well, it's probably not going to make it. And so it likely regards these circumstances of Christ rather than his physical appearance. You know, we can sometimes read that he has no form or comeliness, like, well, he must not have been a very good looking person. I don't think that's exactly what it's saying in, in context here. It's saying his circumstances were so unfitting for what you would expect a king to have come from or the, the son of God, how he would have come to earth. So the second half of that verse, you know, when we should see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Again, you could take this physically. Well, he just wasn't a, a, a good looking or a beautiful person. But I don't think this is what God is really saying to us through Isaiah. No beauty that we should desire him. Even when Jesus came into his public ministry, into his, the, we call it the spotlight, he became more well-known he attracted quite a lot of followers. But it's a sad story when you read through the Gospels. And you read a chapter like John chapter 6. And you get through the whole uh, account of John 6. And in John 6, 66, which is a really easy verse to remember, they all left him. They all deserted him except for his few faithful followers. He didn't seem like he had a successful ministry. He had a very faithful few who followed him. The rest of them were in it because it says the miracles and the food. Well, what king doesn't give out free stuff? We love this guy. 
And so they were following for the free stuff. But when it got difficult, they're like, we're, we're out of here. This is not what we expected. And so Jesus went to that cross, even with his closest disciples running away from him. He looked like a failure in the natural. He has no form or comeliness, no beauty that we would desire him to be our leader. This isn't the kind of person we would imagine to be the leader, the son of God. And yet that's who he was and is. He was a humble servant. He was the opposite of what appeals to natural man. And Christianity honestly does not appeal to the natural man. It doesn't. The natural man likes to be lifted up and given good things. Christianity is about serving one another and living for God. You know, that doesn't appeal to us naturally. Verse 3, 53.3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He was despised and rejected of men. He was accused of being a madman who was out of his mind. He was accused of that by the Jewish leaders. He was also accused of that kind of by his own friends and family members in Matthew or sorry, Mark chapter 3. We don't have time to go here. But so he was accused like, this guy is crazy. He's out of his mind. When I say this guy, I'm referring to what they would have maybe said in their time. I'm not... Um, Take that the right way. He's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But they would have been looking at him alive here on earth going, he's not right. Something's wrong with him. He was accused of blasphemy. He was accused of being a drunkard. He was despised and rejected by many people in his time here on earth. It actually says despised twice in that verse. Despised, rejected by men. Go a little bit later on. From whom men hide their faces, he was despised. So Isaiah is foreseeing the hatred that Christ would suffer here on earth. He came in love for the people of the earth, in love for his father as well, to do his father's will. That's why he came. And yet he was just ridiculed, made fun of, put down, and despised. And we hid our faces from him and esteemed him not. The Jewish leaders rejected him. His family didn't believe in him till after he rose from the dead. Peter denied him three times right at the end. He had very few followers, as we said. He wasn't an esteemed leader. Verse 4, it says what people were thinking again. Uh, during that time. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So we looked at the things he went through and said, boy, he must have done some wrong stuff. And again, I'm referencing what people would have said during that time as Isaiah prophesied. You know, wow, he must have done something horribly wrong to suffer the things that he is suffering, thinking that he's dying for his own sins. But Isaiah 53, verse 5, is the crux of it all. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. 
This is the crux. This is the, it wasn't because he had done wrong. He went through all of these horrible things, being more marred than any other person, being despised and rejected because of us. I find it amazing. I haven't mentioned it yet. This is hundreds of years before Jesus came. And yet God gave this message to his people and even all the way to us so many years later as, you know, as a message about Jesus Christ, the Son of God coming to earth. It says the chastisement of our peace was upon him. He suffered even a loss of peace. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is more than you or I feeling like God's not with us or like he left us. This is the son of God himself saying, Father, why have you left me? He lost that peace with God during that time to open the way for us as humanity through his salvation to receive peace with God. It was by his chastisement of his peace. It says, by his stripes, we are healed. Our, and our ESV says wounds. The KJV says by his stripes, we are healed. We often use that verse for you know, physical healing. And I'm a big proponent of healing and, and miracles. And God certainly does that. In context here, and also in 1 Peter chapter 2, where it talks about a similar thought, both of these are a healing of the soul who is away from God, the soul who has sinned. It was his suffering for humanity that brought our peace with God, that brought the possibility of our sins being forgiven. By his very stripes, he gave us, gave us that healing from sin. Isaiah 53 verse 6 all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Such an interesting picture, isn't it? We like sheep have gone astray. I've never worked with sheep, but I know people who have. I was just hearing a, a story about somebody, this was with, you know, with, cows, but they had all gotten out and they had to hire ranchers to come and round them all up and, and get them all back into where they had gotten out from. But, I, you know, sheep are the same. They, they can wander, they go astray, and the shepherd has to, to keep an eye on them. But notice what this verse says. We are like sheep who've gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and God punished us severely because of it. You have the verse up there in front of you. That's not what it says. We have gone astray. We have gone to our own way. And God laid on Jesus Christ the iniquity of us all. He paid the price for us going astray. Now, that doesn't mean he wants us to go astray. But that means that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ because he paid the price for us. You know, it says all, if you just read these phrases in here, all we have and us all. It's a, 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 a totality in there, a completeness in there. All of us. We have all, us all. 
There's not one of us sitting in here today who has lived the perfect life without going astray. All of us, we have all, us all have done this. We all need a savior. We all need Jesus Christ who paid the price for that. It talks about this in Romans chapter three as well. You know, we don't have time to go here. The familiar verse would be chapter three, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But all of Romans chapter three, verses nine through 18, and then in the verse 23, it talks about this whole thought of how we, we um, have sinned. We all have done wrong and we have wandered and got lost and got into trouble, but he paid the price for us. Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was a lamb led, that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears, like they are silent, so he opened not his mouth. So here we are. Isn't this an interesting picture? I'd never really put this together before. You know, like a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. What was the verse before that? We are all the sheep going astray. And here's the perfect lamb coming in, just going in like the quiet lamb, not, not doing anything it shouldn't do. You know, this is the picture of the perfect son of God coming for us when we're all the wandering sheep and he's the perfect one. And so... The, the part we usually focus on there is, you know, oppressed and afflicted, and he didn't open his mouth. You know, Jesus suffered for hours in his final, uh, final hours here on earth. He, he went through different trials, and there's recording, you know, not, not audio recording. It's recorded by word what happened in those trials. And yet the responses that Jesus gave during those trials, you can read through them in less than a minute. This is hours worth of trial. And here's Jesus, just the times that he answered uh, that are given to us in the Bible, he answered questions that were specifically given by a judge who had authority to ask direct questions of him. Besides that, he didn't, he don't open his mouth. This is what Isaiah, the Lord through Isaiah was prophesying. Even it says in Mark chapter 15, verses four through five, that Pilate marveled just paraphrasing, marveled that somebody facing these accusations, this, this capital punishment sort of accusation would not defend themselves. And Pilate just marveled at this because it was so abnormal. I'd say from what I've heard that most prisoners declare themselves to be innocent. I, I believe I heard somebody who had worked in the jail system say in all their time, they'd only heard a couple prisoners actually say they were guilty. So that's the usual thing. Somebody declares their own innocence. But here you have an innocent man declaring nothing. He went because he knew it had to be done. It had to be done for you and I and for his father's will to pay the price for our sins. Isaiah 53 verse 8. We're going to read this out of the New Living Translation. It makes it a little bit clearer. It says, unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. So Christ was taken and, and struck down. Why? For the rebellion of God's people. No, for any wrong that he did. 
Verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So with the wicked and with the rich. This is an interesting um, two different ideas put together here. It says in John chapter 19 and verse 31. Let me just turn there briefly. John chapter 19 and verse 31. It says, since, the day, since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Just get rid of the bodies, you know, break their legs so they die and get them out of here because we have a special feast day coming. We don't want these, you know, hanging there. And the typical death as I understand it, for those who suffered crucifixion was just mass burial, you know, very disgusting, kind of open thrown into a, a pit till there was enough people there and then it was very gross. <clears throat> but what actually happens was that Joseph of Arimathea came and said, I would like the body and I want to bury it. And Joseph took the body of Jesus. Joseph was a very rich man from the accounts that we have. And he buried Jesus in his own tomb. God told us this through Isaiah hundreds of years before it happened. It's amazing. The death that was, uh, the burial that was going to be given him and then the burial that he actually had in the death or in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Back to Isaiah 53. We are winding up here in the last few verses. Isaiah 53 verse 9, or 53 verse 10 Yet it was the will of God to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the Lord shall prosper in his hands. But it was the will of the Lord to crush him and put him to grief as an offering for guilt. It says this over and over again, doesn't it? The Lord through Isaiah making this picture clear. Jesus didn't deserve what he went through, but you and I did. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. So he shall be satisfied, it says first. This one sacrifice of Jesus Christ paid the price for sin. All, the, all for the thousands of years that the animal sacrifices had been happening, that blood had to be shed for all of those sins, they were a picture of what would happen through this one sacrifice, that Jesus would come and shed his blood and justice would be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. You know, God knew exactly the price that had to be paid. He knew, he knew what had to be done. And we are justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. 53.12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So Jesus, through his, through, you know, what was his reward for his sacrifice for us? The Bible says, seated at the right hand of God. He was exalted 
and elevated. In Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11, we don't have time to go here. You can mark that down if you want to study it out. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, he was exalted to the highest. Now, just before we close, I want to read three verses from the next chapter. Because again, chapters and verses were given us at a later date. But it's told, you know, this part also connects back. And I'd never seen this before until I, till I started looking this up. Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 3. Sing, O barren one, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen the cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. I'd never put this together before, that this is right in line here with the passage about Jesus Christ. And, and if we were to put a phrase to this, it would be, make it bigger, because here comes Christianity to the world. This is what it's talking about. It's saying, you know, sing, O barren, sing, you who did not bear. The children of the desolate will be more than the children of the married. Who were the children who were married to God? The Israelites. Who were the desolate ones? The rest of the world were without him. And saying the children of the desolate ones, the children of all the Gentiles, the ones who come to now be the children of God, are going to number more than the ones of the, than the ones or the children of the married, the ones of Israel. So it's saying, enlarge the place of your tent, make it bigger, stretch it out, don't hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for the people will spread abroad to the, or for you will spread abroad to the right and the left. Your offspring will possess nations and the desolate cities. You will spread throughout all the nations. This message of what Jesus Christ did for the world. And that's what happened, isn't it? Christianity was not just for a local place in the Middle East. Christianity spread throughout the world and continues to do so in many parts of the world. It's an encouraging ending to this passage about what Jesus Christ did, isn't it? It didn't end with death. It ended with resurrection and life. And it ended with the news of, of his forgiveness and his love being spread throughout the world. So in conclusion today, this is a good summary of the life of Christ. Now from a summary, you can't get all the details. If you want all the details, you look in the gospels. There's a lot of details and, and we'll look at some of those as we carry on with different messages about the life of Christ. But this is a really good summary. And the conclusion to the summary is that Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ came to earth as the son of God to pay the price for your sins and for mine, for our wrong that we could not make right. We could not pay that. He came and he died for the sins of the whole world. And our part, the beginning of our walk with him is to believe in him, as it says in John 3:16. All who would believe in him would have eternal life. Now, believing must be walked out. So as you know, many of us who are here, we're in the walking out stages. We say, Lord, I, I believe that you came to earth as the son of God and you died for me. Now I'm gonna live for you. 
I'm going to walk in relationship with you because I love you and because I want to serve you and live for you. Thank you so much for giving your life for me. But as we close today, I want to give an opportunity for anybody who maybe is at the beginning point. We don't do this very often here in Mount Zion Church, but it is vital that the opportunity is given. And if you hear this and you hear Jesus came and died and paid the price for my sins, and you realize that you've never said, Lord Jesus, I believe in you and please forgive me for my sins. Thank you for paying the price for that and help me to live for you. If you've never done that in your life, there's no better time than today. And for the rest of us, there's no better time to keep living for him and making sure that, that we're you know, loving him and our relationship with him is growing and flourishing. But today I want to focus on the ones who may not have asked him into their heart yet, who've not said, Lord Jesus, I believe in you and thank you for giving your life for me. So why don't we all close our eyes and bow our heads. And if that is you, if you've never made that that commitment, that saying, Lord Jesus, I believe you and that you're the son of God, that you came to earth to give your life to pay for my sins and that you rose again in bodily form as the son of God. Um, If you've never done that, why don't you go ahead and do that to him? It doesn't need to be a fancy prayer. You just say, Lord, I believe in you and please forgive my sins. Lord, we are so thankful that you came to earth and gave your life for us. Jesus, thank you for being willing to do that. And Father, thank you for being willing to send your son as a payment for our sins. We are here today because of you. And Lord, I pray that we would live out our days serving you with this knowledge, knowing that your tremendous love and your tremendous goodness paid for something that we didn't deserve to be paid. But you said, I will make that sacrifice. Such an amazing thing, Lord. And we are so forever grateful and uh, help us never to forget that, never to lose focus of that as we go through life and, and all these other things come up, whether distractions or, or good things, Lord, help us to never lose sight of the, this basic gospel message that you gave your life to pay for my sin. And now I can live for you. So Lord, we are so thankful. And we pray this in your name. Amen.